Well, hello and welcome, everybody. This is your host, Ken D. Foster. Today, I have a very unique show today. Today, we're going to be talking about the courage to save Yellowstone. Yellowstone what? No, not the movie Yellowstone. Oh, no, that's too. Oh, yeah, it is Yellowstone, isn't it? Anyway, uh, it's the uh, <laughs> it's the park itself. So um, we're going to be talking about that. And, we, you know, most likely, you know, Yellowstone uh, has some threats out there. They have a lot of threats. And most likely you're not even aware of some of those threats. But I want to enlighten you. You know, some of them are coming from uh, climate change. Some of them are coming from um, outside the, uh, the park, you know, mining interests, that type of thing. Sometimes uh, some of these challenges are invasive species. Some of them are from the government, and some of them are from individuals in the park. There's a lot of challenges going on in all of our state parks, but I think especially Yellowstone. So I have brought an expert on my show today. We're going to be talking a little bit about the history of the park and what made Yellowstone, um, how it became our first national park, and why didn't they pick Yosemite over over Yellowstone. So we're going to dive deep into a whole bunch of things that are happening in Yellowstone. I think you'll find it fascinating. So I hope you'll uh, stay tuned. We'll take a quick break and then we'll uh, be right back with my guest. Are you over 50? Would you like to get up to 33% more income in retirement? Then call now for this free book, Annuity Do's and Don'ts for Baby Boomers. This free book reveals little-known secrets about annuity strategies that will help you make the right choices before buying an annuity. Call right now for your free book. And as a bonus, we'll also throw in a free annuity rate report, both absolutely free, for calling Annuity General today. Call 800-510-0470. Attention Zantac users. The FDA requested manufacturers to pull Zantac off the market, noting exposure to unacceptable levels of a cancer-causing agent. If you or a loved one was diagnosed with cancer after regular use of Zantac, you might be entitled to financial compensation. If you have any of these cancers, time is critical. Call now for a free consultation. If you don't win, you pay nothing. Call 800-797-7641. Well, welcome back, everybody. My guest is in the studio, Megan Kate Nelson. Megan, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Ken. Thanks for having me on. I'm so happy to have you on. You know, Megan, um, let me just introduce you. You are a uh, writer and uh, actually uh, been nominated for a Pulitzer Prize. That was pretty amazing. And uh, she's living in Lincoln, uh, Massachusetts. Uh, she's written uh, about the Civil War, U.S. Western history, and American culture for the New York Times, Washington Post, Smithsonian Magazine, Preservation Magazine, Civil War Monitor, and I'm sure a whole bunch more. And uh, Megan, we are going to be talking about your new book uh, that's coming out, or has come out. Um, it's all about Yellowstone. So 
let's dive right in. What made you uh, write the book around Yellowstone? Well, I was finishing up my previous book, The Three-Cornered War, and there is a surveyor in that book um, named John Clark, and I was doing the history of surveying and kind of digging into that, and I and I ran into this guy named Ferdinand Hayden, a geologist, an explorer, um, and surveyor uh, who led some of the big surveys in the 1860s and 70s, and I realized that his, this was around 2018, so I realized that the 150th anniversary of his scientific exploration to Yellowstone was coming up, uh, and uh, then also realized that this was the expedition that led directly to the creation of Yellowstone National Park, and I thought, you know, as a historian, anniversaries are a great time for us to really think about the importance of events and places and why they were important then and if they are important in the same ways now. Um, so, yeah. That's great. You know, if I go down to Yosemite and I talk to the rangers there, they tell me that Yosemite was the first national park. Wow. When I go to Yellowstone and I talk to the rangers there, they tell me Yellowstone is the first national park. Which one's the first national park? And if so, why was it chosen? <laughs> Yellowstone was the first federally designated state park, if that makes sense. Um, in 1864, Congress took lands from the state of, or from the, the federal government actually, took those public lands and gave them to the state of California to manage for the benefit of the people. So that was actually the precedent for the Yellowstone Act but the Yellowstone Act of 1872 is a little bit different in that the government took lands from the territories of Wyoming and Idaho and Montana and gave them to the Department of the Interior to manage. So it's a slight difference. So Yosemite was not considered a national park uh, until 1890 when it was converted from its state status. Uh, but Yosemite still extremely important for setting that precedent of preservation. Well, let's talk a little bit about why was the government invested in uh, mapping and controlling Yellowstone, especially during Reconstruction? What was going on there? This was one of the the big questions that I had for the book, Ken. I mean, I I was like, wait a minute, this is 1872 and 1871. This is right in the middle of Reconstruction. The country is coming back and, and still trying to recover from this really destructive, traumatic civil war. The, the economy is in chaos. Congress doesn't have much money to begin with. And so why are they giving Ferdinand Hayden $40,000, which in today's money is about a million dollars, to go out and do this scientific survey of Yellowstone, which remained one of the few unmapped places in the country at the time. Um, and I really think it had to do with that traumatic experience. You know, Americans were really searching for something that they could believe in. Um, something that would make them feel good about the country, that would convince them um, after all of this horrible, you know, um, destruction and trauma, really convince them that the United States was sort of back together again. It was unique in all the world uh, and really superior. And one of the ways that Americans had always thought about their country in that way was through its natural wonders. So Niagara Falls, the Natural Bridge in Virginia, and then Yosemite. Um, all of these places seem to suggest that the United States was really uh, unique and special. And I think Americans were really looking for that. And I think congressmen also kind of wanted to fund a project that maybe wasn't, it was utilitarian in its way, 
mm-hmm. because it would, you know, create scientific knowledge. And then it would also inform uh, them about what was actually out there and whether they could mine it or farm it or ranch it. Um, but really, there was a kind of interest in, in discovery and exploration and kind of going into the unknown, I think, directly related to that traumatic experience of warfare. Makes a lot of sense. It makes uh, sense that it, they'd uh, want to find something that would unite the country and bring mm-hmm. pride to America. <clears throat> yeah, so that, that that makes sense. What did they find when they mapped it? I mean, you know, did they find a lot of resources? What, what did they find, you know? <laughs> So Ferdinand Hayden entered Yellowstone with a pretty big team of about 50 people, 30 scientists and support staff, uh, and then a, a fairly large contingent of soldiers to protect them from any possible raids from either the, the Crow peoples or the Shoshone or, or the Lakota peoples who are all kind of operating in the area at that time. And Hayden, he knew that it was, it was likely that Yellowstone was volcanic in nature, Um, These regions were very important to geologists at the time, which were using these places to establish the age of the earth and to determine how the earth had evolved over time. Was it through erosion? Was it through these really spectacular volcanic explosions? You know, how, how did it actually evolve? And so these were the questions he was hoping to answer. And he went in and the first thing that his team saw, the first kind of feature that we associate with Yellowstone uh, was what we have come to know as Mammoth Hot Springs, which they called the White Mountain. And they were just astonished. Um, And they went from there. They followed the Yellowstone River. uh, They saw the falls first. Then they went up to Yellowstone Lake. And then they did. Then they entered the Geyser Basin over the course of about two months of exploration. And the minute that Hayden really saw the White Mountain and the minute that he saw those geothermal fields, he knew that this was a spectacular, unique place in all the world. He knew, um, you know, there had been geysers discovered in other countries and other geothermal fields, but none of them were this big. None of them had the like the amazing array of individual features, uh, especially in the upper and the lower geyser basin. And so he knew immediately that that this place was special. He knew it would be really important for science. And he also knew it was very unlikely that farmers or ranchers were going to be able to do anything in Yellowstone Basin. It just wasn't, you know, it wasn't developable in that way. Um, But what he, and he didn't really think also there was any potential for gold or copper or silver there. There just wasn't the rock, the rock that you would have to have that would be necessary for that. So when he came back and after it was suggested to him that he, that he start to argue for the preservation of Yellowstone, he made two arguments. One, that, that this was a special and unique place and should be a scientific laboratory. Uh, and two, that it was useless otherwise, <laughs> which is, is, this is surprising, but this is one of the major arguments that people always make for saving natural parks. Like you can't do anything with them. Like, you know, like Zion, right? That you can't do anything with that canyon. There's nothing, there's a river down the middle. There's very little land. Maybe you could plant it with something, but really it's good for rock climbing and hiking. That's what it's good for, right? And and staring up at these sheer walls. Um, but, but this is one of one of the arguments is that that was very persuasive because, you know, a lot of Americans, they want to develop land. This is part of, of the ethic of manifest destiny and westward expansion. And so if there is land to be developed there, then they, they probably would not have, have saved it if there had been actual potential for farming or ranching. That's um, interesting. Well, listen, I got to take a quick break. We come back, though. Manifest Destiny is uh, 
uh, <laughs> it's on my mind. And how in the heck did the indigenous people, uh, you know, Sitting Bull and in uh, uh, the Lakota, how did they assert their uh, uh, you know sovereignty in these areas? Yeah. Um, I think that's interesting. So we'll be right back, and then when we come back, we'll talk about that. CBD, you've heard about it. It's helping people relieve chronic pain, improve sleep, and reduce stress. But how do you find science-based products that feel right for you? Feel Good Hemp was started after the founders used CBD oil to help their dad heal from a three-month-to-live diagnosis. They deliver all-natural, lab-tested, high-quality products at affordable prices. So visit feelgoodhemp.org forward slash courage and be sure to use coupon code courage 25 to get 25 percent off your first order well welcome back everybody today's show is called the courage to save yellowstone and we're talking about some of the history of the park here and uh then we'll get into a little more of what's going on in yellowstone but um uh, and, and first of all, my guest, Megan uh, Kate Nelson, she wrote this amazing book. So before I get into that, that uh, particular um, question I just asked, I didn't want to put the book up on screen so people can see it. So it's Saving Yellowstone, Megan Kate Nelson, and the Exploration and Preservation and the Reconstruction of America. So, Megan, where can people get this book, by the way? Uh, you can get Saving Yellowstone wherever books are sold. Uh, if you prefer your books in hardcover, you can get it from any bookstore, uh, indie bookstore or online. And if you would rather do read an ebook, you can get that. And uh, if you would rather listen to your books, you can buy it in audiobook. I just love that. And also on the screen, uh, we put your website there so they can go right to the website to uh, get the book too. So great. All right. How did Native Americans, indigenous people... How did they preserve their sovereignty rights uh, when the government was coming in, especially with the manifest destiny doctrine? Yeah. How, how, did, that, how did that happen? Yeah, it was incredibly hard to do. And, and by the time Hayden entered Yellowstone, you know, this was 1871, and the two major indigenous groups who lived uh, on the periphery of Yellowstone and who used it most, um, the Shoshone and the Crow, had already. Uh, made treaties with the U.S. government and were living on reservations, on the Crow Reservation to the north and the Wind River Reservation to the southeast. Um, but Yellowstone had been a thoroughfare and a hunting ground, a site of ceremonies, a place to gather plants uh, for domestic uses for um, anywhere between 27 and 47 tribal nations um, over thousands of years. I mean, if you look at the map, Ken, of, of all the different uh, indigenous peoples who have a historic relationship to Yellowstone, it basically encompasses the entire northern Great Plains and the the northern mountain west. It's this really massive region. Uh, and from there, Yellowstone starts to look like kind of the heart of this amazing indigenous network of travel and trade and hunting and warfare. And in fact, it was. Um, and the Lakota people in this period, whose lands extended from the Missouri River all the way to, to the Yellowstone Basin, uh, were very active in defending their sovereignty 
uh, and tried to prevent white settlers and railroad surveyors from moving through their homeland to get to Yellowstone. Uh, and Sitting Bull was one of the major leaders of this effort. He kind of comes to the fore in this early period, uh, in the early 1870s. And I argue in the book that you can really see him building his base and building his arguments uh, for Lakota sovereignty in this period that lead directly to the Battle of Little Bighorn in 1876 uh, or the Battle of Greasy Grass. And, you know, that's a major moment for Indigenous history. Uh, it's a major moment for Lakotas and also for the United States in terms of its federal Indian policy. Um, and I think that the main thing to take away from this is that Indigenous peoples had always been in Yellowstone uh, and they continued to persist and survive. And they are still there. Um, and they are still, you know, making claims in terms of land ownership and land stewardship. Uh, and I'm happy to say that, that Yellowstone National Park is doing um, some really unprecedented things in this 150th anniversary year to bring Indigenous voices into the park in ways that they have not been present earlier. So I think that's a good sign. There's still a lot of work to do, um, but it is one of those kind of elements of the dark history of conservation that it really does require in almost every case, uh, native land dispossession. Uh, you're taking the land away from someone. And in most cases in the 19th century, you are taking that land away from native peoples. Um, and so the park really becomes this space uh, and continues to be a space where it, it, you know, belongs to everyone. And yet it has boundaries. Uh, it has, you know, a clear, uh, title and ownership now. The federal government runs Yellowstone National Park through the Department of the Interior and the Park Service. Um, and there's a real question going forward about Indigenous communities and, and whether they will have a voice going forward, um, whether they will be able to co-manage uh, some national parks uh, across the country, whether they're even interested in that, uh, and to what extent their histories will be kind of enfolded into the tourist experience in Yellowstone and in other places. Um, so it's a really rich, interesting history. Wow, that's a rich history. I can hardly wait to read the book. I mean, you know, I know you cover so much of that in there. Um, one of the things I think was fascinating is your uh, tie-in um, uh to the connection to uh, other federal projects under the uh, Reconstruction, during the Reconstruction era, and um, how that tied into the Justice Department's pursu uh, pursuing the KKK during this time. Uh, let's touch on that. What, what does that even mean? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that may seem pretty far afield, right? But um, what was really fascinating to me about doing this research is that, you know, this is the period of Reconstruction. And usually, you know, in school or in popular culture, we think of Reconstruction as only taking place in the South, that this was a political process meant to bring the Confederate states, former Confederate states, back into the Union. Uh, they had to create new constitutions. They had to pass the 13th Amendment outlawing slavery. They had to pass the 14th Amendment and the 15th Amendment providing citizenship and voting rights to Black Americans. Um, and what was happening during this period is that white Southerners were really trying to reestablish their control in a lot of the Southern states. And they were trying to do that through racial violence. And the KKK was one manifestation of that. And in 1871, uh, in the same session uh, that Congress gives Ferdinand Hayden money to go to Yellowstone, uh, they're also passing acts, um, really kind of preparing to launch this campaign 
against the KKK, making it possible to go after and arrest people uh, for going in disguise around the country at night for uh, and really kind of laying the groundwork for the argument that if a state is not protecting the rights of its citizens, then the federal government has the right to step in uh, and to protect those rights. Uh, And so they began, they launched in the fall of 1871, just as Hayden is getting back from Yellowstone, they launch uh, this Department of Justice campaign against the KKK in South Carolina. Uh, they managed to convict over the course of about six months, more than 300 KKK members, uh, mostly of charges of conspiracy uh, to undermine the 14th and 15th Amendment rights of of Black Southerners. So this was really just this amazing moment to me. And I really felt like these two projects, Yellowstone and this this campaign against the KKK went in hand, hand in hand because they were these kind of high watermarks where the, the federal government is saying, we owe something to the citizens. You know, we need to protect our most vulnerable citizens. And then we also need to provide natural spaces for Americans to go that will provide this kind of democracy of tourism, will be open to all and it will be for their benefit. And, um, you know, that it will become like, as one of Hayden's friends said, um, something that could only happen in America. And but it was this, you know, assertion of federal power. I mean, that's uh, that's pretty strong federal action. Um, And so both of these campaigns, um, you know, they provoked some conversation and some resistance. Well, I'm going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the uh, technologies, in the, uh, tra- including the Transcontinental Railroad mm. and photography, publishing innovations that impacted Hayden's exploration of Yellowstone and the passage of the Yellowstone Act. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back, everybody. This is Kendi Foster, and I'm interviewing Megan Kate Nelson, who is uh, soon to be a best-selling author. She's uh, been a writer for some of the top uh, magazines in the world. Um, she's uh, been nominated for a Pulitzer Prize, and uh, we are taking a deep dive into her new book. It's all about Yellowstone. If you haven't seen her new book, it's on the screen right now, Saving Yellowstone. Exploration and Preservation in the Reconstruction America by Megan Kate Nelson. You can get this at any of your uh, local bookstores, uh, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and you can also get it on her site at MeganKateNelson.com. Megan, welcome back again. All right. 19th century technologies. How did this impact Hayden and the Yellowstone Act? What uh, what happened? Well, this was one of uh, Hayden's great uh talents was understanding how important the Transcontinental Railroad would be to getting his survey out there quickly enough. Um, I think anyone who's gone to Yellowstone uh, during the summer knows how difficult it is to get to. And it was very hard to get to in the 19th century as well. And so to be able to take the Transcontinental Railroad out to Ogden, Utah, um, just in a matter of days from Omaha, and then be able to launch his expedition really gave him a full season of surveying and exploration before the snows came. So that was hugely beneficial. He understood um, that that was going to be the case. And he made a deal with the Union Pacific to to bring him and his luggage and to transport specimens. Uh, So that was really important. He also knew how important photography 
and painting, and then also magazine articles, these new illustrated magazines like Harper's and then especially Scribner's Monthly would be in communicating what he found in Yellowstone, uh, not only to the greater American public, but also to Congress, because, uh, you know, anyone out there who has ever applied for grant money uh, from any kind of institution knows uh, you make the case to get the funding, then you go and do the project, and then you have to come back and write a big report, right? And so he was writing these reports for Congress, and then he was also simultaneously lobbying for the Yellowstone Act, while he was also lobbying congressmen to get money to go back to Yellowstone the next summer. Uh, so he was a very busy man um, and he, he knew how to hustle. And he also knew that, you know, congressmen would, would understand maybe a little bit of the science, but that they would really understand the power of visual images. And so he had William Henry Jackson, the photographer with him. He had Thomas Moran and Henry Elliott, who were painters and, and sketch artists. And he included um, more than 30 images in his congressional report, including a couple color plates. Uh, he also set up a, a whole exhibit in the rotunda that included photographs and sketches, and then also mineral specimens and fossils to really represent Yellowstone to the congressmen who were thinking about and debating about the Yellowstone Act. Because um, he knew uh, that the technology of photography uh, and then all of this, you know, the, the press that was creating these illustrated magazines would be incredibly convincing in terms of, you know, really suggesting to the, to the American people that Yellowstone needed to be saved, it needed to be, be preserved as a national park, and that it would be a boon to the nation. Wow. wow, that's they have a rich history here. Let me ask you something. There's um, there's a lot going on, as I mentioned early on in the show, <clears throat> with uh, respect to Yellowstone today. Um, there's you know we're talking about native land dispossession. We're talking about you know outside influences wanting to come in and mining uh, influences. We're talking about you know bugs and insects. There's a lot going on. There's you know government policies that are being set. What can the public do? What can we do to make sure that Yellowstone is is saved and saved for future generations? Well, I think one thing to be aware of is that climate change is happening and it's affecting Yellowstone just like it's affecting environments across the United States. Um, I was just at a science conference a couple of weeks ago uh, of all conservation scientists who are working in what they call the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. And this is one of the great... Uh, legacies of the creation of Yellowstone National Park is it became the core of this larger um, environment, which includes Shoshone National Forest and Custer Gallatin National Forest, and then also Grand Teton National Park, which is right to the south. And it is one of the largest intact uh, temperate zones in the world. And so it is, as Hayden imagined, he would be so thrilled about this. It is a scientific laboratory and scientists have been able to track climate change in this area in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem and give us a really good sense of what is coming. Uh, and Ken, the news is not good. I mean, it is, we are going to see more and more forest fires, more extended periods of drought, uh, Water levels in rivers are going to be lower and lower all the time. And so what we need to do, I think, most to protect Yellowstone is to act now. Um, if we don't act at all, it, things are going to get very severe. Um, and, 
ecosystems are going to be destroyed. And, and we're probably going to see a fundamental change in all of Yellowstone's features because of that. Um, if we act now, we can kind of lessen that impact. Climate change will still continue, uh, but it will be less severe uh, in Yellowstone and in other parts of the country. So I think that's the number one thing. And then the, the I think the second thing, too, is if you are going to Yellowstone, um, you know, just be a mindful, responsible tourist and, and consider yourself as a tourist, a steward of the land as well. I love that. I love it. Well, listen, I've got to uh, wrap up this segment of the show and um, we'll be doing a, another segment uh, for those uh, for my listening audience that listens to our hour show. But for those of you that are on our half hour segment, we want to say goodbye to you, Megan. Thank you so much for being here and uh, really appreciate you. I appreciate what you're doing and they can get the the new book uh, right at MeganKateNelson.com. Uh, Thanks okay. so much, Megan. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ken. Thanks for having me on. And thank you again for joining uh, this segment of the Voices of Courage show. We hope you'll subscribe at VoicesOfCourage.us to our members area where you will get some free gifts from our speakers, from myself. Uh, sometimes, again, there's some free tickets. Sometimes you get books. Sometimes you get uh, all kinds of surprises. So hope you'll uh, check us out. And the most important piece is you'll never miss a show when you uh, subscribe. So from my heart to yours, until next time, I hope you continue to uh, see the unseeable and know the unknowable and do the impossible and have a brilliant week.